Welcome everyone to this episode of the Palmetto Guardian. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Weaver. And I'm Specialist Anna Grace Cato. And today we have a very exciting topic to talk about. At least I think it's exciting. Um, so we're going to have our guest introduce himself and then we're just going to jump right in. Everybody, uh, Captain Nick Smith. I'm the Supervisory Human Resources Specialist for the South Carolina National Guard. Uh, so basically oversee the branch that manages all our full-time employees. So you're over us kind of in a way or like you have something to do with our jobs yep yep (laughs) in a sense okay so um we've kind of talked before about like different things that the guard offers and um, reasons why people join and all that kind of fun stuff and it's normally benefits and education but also too um a lot of m-day soldiers don't really know about the different full-time programs that are out there um, and opportunities. So that's why we wanted you to come in and kind of talk about, I know we've said multiple times how we're technicians and all Mm -hmm. that. So we kind of want to just dive into what that entails and how do soldiers and airmen too as well um, become technicians and what does that look like? So can you kind of just start maybe a general overview of the technician program and then we can kind of dig deeper into specific things? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think when a lot of people think about full-time National Guard, all they think is AGR, right? Mm-hmm. Active duty, um, <clears throat> but the tech program, so it's a special category of civilian employees. It's actually its own law um, that created it. So we are civilian employees. We are paid like civilian, federal civilians, even though we wear the uniform, um, and it's tied to our military service. So we're that kind of weird child of the National Guard that's really unique, but is really critical to the full-time running of the National Guard. So everything from uh, organizational training, equipment, maintenance, all that stuff uh, falls under the the technician program, as well as HR, PAO, all those kind of special staff categories as well. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was going to say, so um, we have positions all around the state, but a lot of them are really kind of centralized in Columbia area. Um, or like our big shops in Greenville and things like that. Where, because I mean, we are in the Columbia area, so like where around the state are there other positions in like, not you don't have to go into specifics, but like um, for those who maybe are not centrally located in Columbia or willing to look for something that they would have to relocate, like what are positions out there that are available um, that people may not know about? Yeah, so... In the field, it's mostly our field maintenance shops, our FMS shops. Uh, there's nine of them all around the state. They're, they're kind of hubs where the supported units in that area send their equipment, their vehicles and things to go get worked on and repaired. If it's something that can be done, it's, it's not unit-level maintenance, but it's not you know so high that it has to get sent off to a depot. That's what the shops are for. So the majority of our stuff outside of Columbia and Greenville uh, is those FMS shops. So in Greenville, we also have our Aviation Support Facility 2, AASF2. Um, so that supports our Chinooks and Lakota helicopters. So there's aviation maintenance and operations up there as well. Everything else really is is either here at Joint Force Headquarters mm-hmm. um, or at McIntyre. We have a pretty big heavy presence there. Uh, Summit, McCrady, uh, all the Air Guard positions are, are pretty much at McIntyre. So... so- how can people learn more about like the jobs that are out there? What are, are there specific qualifications? I mean, obviously for different job positions there are, but like what's the basic level um, that somebody would need to be able to at least 
potentially apply for any of these positions? Right. So, I mean, it varies uh, kind of drastically depending on the job, but really all your entry-level stuff, which is a lot of what we have out in the field, um, I mean, your basic military training, like if you're a, if you're a, if you're a mechanic and you go through AIT, you got maybe a year at your unit, like that'll get you in the door at these FMS shops, you know, the GS or the WG8 level. Um, if you're AIT qualified, really in whatever specialty for that job, that'll kind of get you in entry level. Uh, most of our higher positions are, are generally onboard promotions. So as you get that experience, you can promote into it. We have a few specialty jobs that, uh, just because of kind of the nature and the low density, will will come on off the street at a higher level. And those, um, again, having that military experience, that's one of the great things about the technician program is we we are able to translate that military experience, your time in school, your time at, at your unit, into job qualifications and job experience for your civilian side. Uh, it's a little harder to do on your plain clothes Title V civilians. It's not a one-for-one swap, but that's one of the benefits of the technician program. So really, and I'd say our, our biggest need is those entry level. It's those, those off the street soldiers coming out of AIT, coming fresh to their units that have the skills out of school that can come in and get that whole career. Um, that's who we're looking for most right now. Mm-hmm. What does a career look like? Because I know that like retirement on the guard side is different than the technician side. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, so the career... It very, again, kind of varies a lot depending on what your specialty is. Uh, if you're in the maintenance field, logistics field, you know, you can come in off the street at WG6, WG8, and do 20, 30, 30-plus 30 years in the technician program um, and get that second retirement. So it's, it's tied to your military membership. You have to stay in the National Guard to keep your technician job, but you can kind of have two parallel but separate career paths, right? It's not – tied have completely to your military position like an AGR job is but it depends we have we have a lot of folks that just really love turning wrenches or really love working on their their trade and they're specialist in that and they stay in the field and they you know they top out and they they can just run that all the way to retirement right like kind of separate of their military career they may have to move around and take promotions in the field but they can just they can keep working their craft craft the whole time they they want to stay till they're 60 have at it. Um, you know, that's that's one of the benefits of, of it. The flip side, too, is we have a kind of a separate retirement system, right? So you have – it's a civilian – it's a federal civilian retirement, just like if you retired from the, you know, the Postal Service. But one of the benefits of the technician side, because you have to be a member of the National Guard to have that job, if you lose your military membership, whether it's, you know, military retirement, uh, disability retirement, med board, something like that, there's actually a special provision that it goes allows you to go ahead and retire on the civilian side as well and get that special retirement. Um, there's a lot of caveats to it. You got to be in for a certain amount of time, but we're a normal federal civilian. You got to you can't retire until 60, 62, depending on your retirement category. Uh, for us technicians, if we lose military membership involuntarily, not just hey I want to get out of the guard, but um, you know it's a medical retirement or something like that, mm-hmm. you can actually then go ahead and retire on the technician side too and not have to, you know, go find another job. You basically have your full retirement there. Okay. So you kind of were talking about Title V and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Can you explain in the easiest way possible? Because okay. people ask me, they, they, I don't know how to explain it to them where 
Um, cause they're like, well, you wear the uniform, you're military. I'm like, yes, but I'm technically a civilian. And like, mm-hmm. it's so hard to explain. So could you kind of break it that down a little bit as far as the difference between the title five positions and then our positions and also too, you don't have to apply for it's, it's title 10, right? Or are we title 32? Title 32. Okay. Title yep. 32. So as a guards member, you don't have to apply for a Title 32 job. You can also apply for a Title 5 because we do have a lot of individuals who are also a Title 5, which in my eyes I see as a true civilian, I guess, because they don't wear the uniform to work and all that kind of fun stuff. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about the differences between those two? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we used to have what were called dual status technicians, which is us, and then non-dual status technicians, which were Still technicians, but didn't wear the uniform. It was this different system. But a few years ago, that changed. So now all those are Title V, which is just your standard federal civilian. It's the same uh, category of civilian as, you know, that works at the post office. Well, actually, they have a different code. But, you know, your standard federal mm-hmm. employees, Social Security Administration, whatever, they're uh, standard civil service positions. They don't have any of that military requirement uh, to those jobs. They still support our agency and support the mission we do, but they're like inherently civilian positions. So the auditors and USPFO, um, that's kind of our big one. A lot of our HR positions are, are Title V. So there's no mu- military membership requirement. There's no uh, kind of Army versus Air constraints like we have on the technician side. So you can you can apply for that just like every other Title V position or federal civilian position at any other federal agency you just you're still working for the national guard and and the vast majority of our title fives here are still drilling guards members uh, on the weekend because it's just still that family atmosphere you know we all work together it's just that position um, is title five we do have a handful that that come from the outside and that's kind of a benefit of it is we're able to bring in some some outside individuals that, that aren't tied to the military position that maybe have an outside perspective um, or when they retire from the military but want to keep working. Um, you've got kids in college or, or you just really want to stick around. You can't, you know, you're like me and you're busybody and you can't sit around the house like that when you retire. Um, and so they can come back into those Title V positions down the road and, and keep working, keep building that retirement. Um, but, yeah, it's just really depending on what type of job that's being done drives that decision of is it Title Five, is it Title 32. So if it's inherently military support in nature, so your mechanics, um, your operations and training, things like that, they're always going to be Title 32, but it's kind of that more civilian support, non-military backup, or um, I don't say backup, but non-military aspects, that's where those Title Fives come in. Could you explain, you were talking about how you can have different career paths being M-Day and being at Tech. Yep. Could you explain, uh, I guess, how a soldier could have an MOS but be qualified to work a completely different job in the technician program? Yeah, absolutely. So several years ago, up until several years ago, we had what was called compatibility, and we still have those requirements. Um, used to be every position, technician position, had a like a rank grade and MOS requirement to it. And some of the Air Guard positions are still more like that. Uh, on the Army side, it changed now compatibility on the military side is just that you're in a unit that is supported by the technician organization you work for. So if you're joint force headquarters, that's everybody, um, right? If you're in a shop, it's got to be one of the shops that you, the units you support and then grade inversion. So you can't militarily outrank your supervisor. 
that's really the only compatibility things we have. And, and color of money, so Army versus Air, right? An air an airman can't serve in an Army technician position and vice versa unless it's specifically funded that way. So that gives us a lot of latitude for movement within the civilian side. So you could be, you know, an MP on the drill on the drilling side, uh, speaking personally, but work in HR because it's two different career paths. As long as you meet the, you know, qualifications for that civilian position, which a lot of the specialty staff, it's program management, it's people skills and things like that. So you kind of have a broad experience base to build from, um, but you're not tied to you know, only your MOS when you're working in the technician field. So if an M-Day soldier is interested in having a technician job and they know that they have the experience required for that job, they shouldn't be afraid to, like, apply for it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, especially a lot of our, you know, Joint Force Headquarters jobs and things like that, they're kind of MOS agnostic because they're special staff or they're um, just kind of your general support skills position. So you can – you know, go have fun on a drill weekend, be an 11 Bravo, do your infantry thing, and then come in and, you know, have a desk job during the week and get that balance. I love it, having drilling somewhere else, so I get that break. It's not that I drill and work in the same building all, you know, all month long. gives <laughs> me a little break. Um, so it's a great benefit of the technician program for sure. That's definitely my favorite part about it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I know, like, being a part, because I was transitioning to the pad when I got this job, and so – I, I still drilled with my old unit for two drills, and then when I started drilling with the pad, it's like it's like it's not even the weekend. It's just another day, and I'm like, oh, I just need a vacation sometimes. And yep. then Kate is over here like, oh, we're going to the field, and <laughs> yep. we're driving the trucks and doing gunnery, and I'm like, oh. but yeah, it's fun because our job, we get to experience everything. Like, it doesn't matter what, like, our job is to cover the units, but it's fun to go out and cover them all the different um, units and the different jobs and stuff that are out there because we get to experience a lot of stuff that other people won't get to experience because they're in one unit or they're doing one job for most of their career. But we get to experience that without having to be trained. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we definitely have the best job. <laughs> I agree. Some days I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I guess maybe just some of the other benefits of the mm -hmm. tech program too, because like we talked about, so it's it's civilian, so it's an inherently civilian. You're paid on the civilian pay scale, whether that's wage grade for um, like our maintenance positions or or GS general schedule for a lot of our positions. Um, so it's not it's not the same as your military pay, but there's a lot of other benefits as well, right? So we have a separate life insurance program, um, so you can have two. You can have your SGLI on the military side and and Fegley. Um, if you're like me with a family and you want to have a lot of life insurance, it's a good cheap option to have double. I talk, We talked a little bit about retirement. So there's, again, two separate retirement programs. Uh, I think that's one of the things that people maybe are hesitant about a lot on the technician side is, oh, well, I won't make as much as AGR. And that's true paycheck to paycheck. But if you look big picture, um, our retirement program is actually significantly better. Um, if you do a full military, full guard career and a full technician career, uh, you'll be, you know, hand and feet over on the AGR side in terms of what you'll bring in at retirement. Because uh, essentially you have four retirements if you do it that way. You have your National Guard retirement, your technician retirement, and then two different TSPs. Uh, and the technician, the civilian side actually does TSP matching. Mm -hmm. um, so if you put into the TSP on the technician side, the agency will match up to 5% of that. Um, so there's, there's basically free money. Uh, in your retirement, so there's a lot of that. We taught the, the separate retirement category, the discontinued service. That's a big thing. Um, we have 
I think, a better dental insurance program than the TRICARE Dental. Um, it's a good program. We have vision insurance. Um, so there's a lot of stuff there. I think one of the other big things that I hear a lot from people not wanting to go technician is losing the TRICARE and losing bonuses. Mm-hmm. Get it. That's a big issue. Um, but I will say that, that those two things are – uh, both Nogus and the Chief of National Guard Bureau, General Hokusens, they're like big ticket items for them. Um, so they're pushing really hard in D.C. to get those changed, and hopefully, knock on wood, uh, here in the next year or two, we can we can see a change in that. Um, TRICARE technically already got passed. It's just 2030 is the effective date. So that was kind of a, you know, yay, thanks. And uh, <laughs> now we still have to wait. Yeah, so we have to wait. <laughs> but they're, they're pushing to get that bumped up. Uh, and then the bonuses uh, – just waiting on the law to change, but that's a big priority for them as well. So don't let it be too big of a, uh, uh, an issue if you're looking at a technician job because um, hopefully that will change here, here soon. Uh, we also get a lot of leave, a lot of paid leave. That's a big benefit. Um, you know, starting out, you're at 104 hours, but after three years it bumps up to six of pay period, so at 156. And uh, if you got over 15 years, it's twice that, 208. Um, so at the end of it, on the, the tail end of your career, you can get almost 11 weeks of paid leave between annual and military leave. Um, we do get paid military leave, so when you go on AT and things like that, you get to double dip both technician and military pay. Um, so that's a big benefit. And we get 11 holidays, 11 paid federal holidays. So um, if you're on the 410 schedule like most of us now, that's four four-day weekends, 11 four-day weekends just free. Don't have to take any leave. Um, so those are big benefits to the program as well that we like. Um, what about like awards and stuff that you can receive mm-hmm. from supervisors? Because I don't think AGR really has anything like that. No, yeah, and that's a, that's another good point too. Um, so we do have a performance incentive program. Uh, so you know we have our yearly performance appraisals, kind of like your you know your NCOERs, but it's it's yearly. It's on the same cycle and it's tied to your civilian position. But what comes out of that is then your your ability to do incentive awards. So whether that's cash, um, this year we actually gave out some pretty sizable cash awards um, up to a couple thousand dollars uh, mm-hmm. over the year, um, whether that is a time off award, and that can be for the whole year or that can actually just be like a, you know, on the spot, hey, you did really good, you went above and beyond, here's a you know an extra two days off essentially of paid leave. Uh, and then we also have a, a QSI, so a quali- quality step increase for the GS scale. Uh, so where essentially it's like, hey, you did a really good job this year. I'm actually going to promote you an extra step early. Uh, and that's where the QSI program is. And you're right, the AGRs, there's no, you do your job, you do your job, and it's your rank and your data uh, and your time and service. That's the only things that drive your pay. Um, so on the tech side, we do actually have a little more incentive to, to go above and beyond and do your job. So. Yeah, now that we switched to the 410s, I was wondering if they were going to change the time off award because before you got, what, 27 hours, so it was like three days. Mm-hmm. So now with the 410s, I'm like, does that mean that they're going to bump that up? Yeah, and that's in the works. <laughs> it's just, you know, the wheels turn a little yeah. slow, um, but we're, we're updating that policy uh, to, yeah, to make it 10, 20, 30, 40 instead yeah. of, what was it, 9, 18, 27, mm-hmm. um, so we can maximize those days, yep. So, um, one thing that you were talking about the steps. So can Mm -hmm. you kind of talk about, so if you came in, say you started out as a GS seven or like the lower level and then a step one, Mm -hmm. can you kind of explain the process of your step increases and also to like what you have to do to get to that next GS level? Yep. 
Um, so on the GS side, and, and I'll touch a little bit about the wage grades too because they're a little bit different, but for the GS scale, so general schedule, um, if you have no prior experience, you're just coming in fresh off the street, you generally start at a step one. Um, so every position has a grade, uh, i.e. like GS7, GS9, whatever, that's your kind of overarching grade and that's tied to the position. Um, that doesn't change based on, you know, your, your job. And then you have your step, which is essentially your time in service in, at that grade. Um, so if you come in at a step one, steps two, three, and four at one year um, after your either your initial appointment or if you get promoted into it, that starts your, your clock over. Um, so one year and then steps five, six, seven is two and uh, eight, nine, ten is three years apiece. Um, so essentially you could do a full 20 years in one grade and get those step, you know, steps uh, if you're on a normal schedule. But like we talked about with the QSIs for the incentive awards, right? if you're going above and beyond, you're doing really well, you can get promoted quicker and move through those steps faster. Uh, and each step is about 3% raised, um, you know, at each step. And then we get our, our yearly cost of living adjustments and everything on top of that in January. So, um, but that's how that works. And then, so if you, you know, you come in at a 7-1, you do your few years, you get like a 7-4 and you get promoted um, you don't start over at a nine one. You would take that step and you would you would adjust it to the next scale. So you're not necessarily you're not going to lose out on anything when you get promoted. Uh, we get that question a lot on the tech side of, hey, I'm a you know I'm a nine three. I'm getting promoted to a ten. Am I going to lose money? Like no, you. you know, we uh, we use what's called the two step rule. So if you're a if you're a seven four and you get promoted to a nine, you would go to seven six and put that on the nine scale, see where it falls, um, and so maybe you don't lose any money there. As long as is that as long as you're in the same like type of like job or position. So that's or? anything within the GS scale. Yep. If you're if you're going GS to GS, we always use the two, four promotions specifically. Um, that's we use that two step rule. It's a little different going wage grade to GS or back. Um, the the calculations a little bit different there. But on the GS side, if you get promoted, if you get promoted to a higher grade, we use that step rule to set it um, from permanence. The temp. If you're going temp to permanent, it, that doesn't apply there. It's a little different. but. Hmm. Do you have something? No. Okay. But <laughs> I feel like this is definitely going to – wheels turning there. Yeah, no. I think this is definitely going to go more than 30 minutes because okay. we're at 23, and I have, like, three questions right now that, that you say that. Okay. Um, not to, like, intimidate you or anything, sir. Go for it. But, okay, so my first question is, um, so with the um, – I don't know if it's rumors or whatever, but when you say you like leave the technician program, but then you apply somewhere else mm -hmm. and it's a GS level, don't you have, don't they have to bring you in at that same level pay wise? Like I've heard that there, you're not supposed to go down. And I don't know if I'm asking this question right or not, but like if you start working for a different agency, but, yeah. it, but it's still, but you have your, yeah, it's still part of the GS system or whatever you want to call it. Like, so say you're a GS nine and you're making fifty thousand, and then you get a job here. They can't bring you in lower than that, is from my understanding or what I've heard. In general, yes. Um, it, as anything with federal government, right? There's like eighteen different levels mm -hmm. of rule and regulation that goes into it. But generally, yeah, you, we have what's called a highest previous rate rule mm -hmm. uh, on the GS side, and it's. It's contingent on grade and where you're at. Like if you voluntarily, so even within our organization, if you're a, you know, if you're an 11 and you voluntarily apply for like, hey, I'm not, this isn't working out. I want to go back to a GS9 and you, you voluntarily go mm -hmm. back. That doesn't apply. Um, but yeah, so let's say you came from, 
the VA, right? And you were an 11 four and you're coming into a 11 or even a 12 position here, we would use that highest previous rate to do your pay setting when you come in. Okay. Um, now we can't go above a step 10 at any level, right? So if you were a GS 15 at the VA and then, you know, you get out for whatever reason and you come back for a, a GS seven job, well, we can't go above a seven step 10 cause that's just the highest we can pay on that system. Um, but yeah, we try to fit that within the scale uh, for your highest previous rate is how that works. Um, doesn't the like leave sick leave carry over too between that's the yep. one? Yeah, yeah. So sick leave, we, it won't show up initially when you come in, we have to do some paperwork to go up to DFAS and get it restored. But yeah, sick leave will carry back with you. Um, so your annual leave, comp time, things like that, that are that are your personal leave, uh, will just get paid out when you leave, um, or depending on the type of award, it sometimes it just falls off if you don't use it. Uh, it does not transfer with you, but sick leave will. The other kind of little known fact about sick leave too, if you're going to retire, um, over I think it's over a thousand hours when you retire, whatever sick leave balance you have gets converted into time in service for retirement. Um, so that happened mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. They noticed a lot of people got really sick right before they retired magically, um, <laughs> just based off all their sick leave. Uh, so that kind of became an incentive like, Hey, Hey, no, let's actually work until you retire and whatever sick leave you have gets converted into your retirement. Also too, with the tech program, um, I don't, I don't know if it's called something or whatever, but like if somebody takes a job somewhere, somewhere else or, um, we have a lot of people who go to DC to do a tour or whatever. There's something in place to where your position has to be held, correct? Yep. Um, so there's it's a law. It's called USERA, um, Uniform Service Reemployment Rights, something like that. Don't mm-hmm. put me on the spot there. But USERA is the law. Um, so essentially, yeah, if you go on military service, um, depending on the type of orders category, things like that, but if you go absent from your civilian position, that position is held for you here. Um, so if it's, it's generally a five year, uh, rule, right. So, and it's cumulative. So if you go on a three year tour at NGB and then you come back and then you go on a two year tour at NGB and come back, but then you do another one well you, you don't have those rights anymore, but deployments and things like that are exempt from that time. So if you, you know, every time you deploy and you come back, it's as if you never left on the civilian side, you're, um, you're allowed to buy back into retirement, put those points back in, um, you buy your military service essentially make your civilian record whole and it's as if you never left for retirement and you get both added to your military retirement and your technician retirement as long as you buy it in. Um, there are certain provisions about health care too, right? Like you have to, uh, if you go on a contingency operation, or overseas deployment, something like that, if you want to keep your civilian health care, it doesn't normally happen, but occasionally you'll have a situation where you have like a dependent that is on some sort of medication that, that Blue Cross Blue Shield will pay for, but TRICARE won't. You can actually keep your civilian insurance. Uh, and then for a year, the first year on that contingency deployment, we actually pay for all of it. Uh, the agency does. Um, and then you can, but you can keep it for up to two years and there's some back payment parts there. Um, if it's like a regular tour, like if you just want to go work at Shaw Air Force Base on orders, that doesn't apply. Uh, but the, yeah, we still keep your position. That even applies if you go AGR, like if you, take an AGR position, you know, you go, you have your three-year kind of initial tour on AGR to, to check it out, see if you're a good fit, if you want to do it, and you decide after three years, yeah, this isn't for me, I want to go back to the tech program, we'll bring you right back into your position. Now, does that apply for certain 
certain jobs. So like I'm a technician right now. Say I want to go work at a fast food restaurant and I say, hey, I'm put into my two weeks. Do I get those five years that I can come back? Or is it only if you're going to do some type of other military type job? Yes, yeah, only for military service. Okay. Yeah. Um, you say specifically for military service. Um, that also applies for like your long drills and your ATs and things like that. Um, school orders, mm-hmm. if you're going to military school, none of that time counts against your five years. Uh, so it's specifically like if you go on voluntarily go on orders that's not a contingency deployment something like that that's where that five-year clock comes in would that be like ados orders or right yeah ados orders uh or or an agr tour or something like that ngb kind mm-hmm. of our biggest ones where people go is is agr national guard bureau ngb or of shaw ados orders at shaw air force base uh, or or afsent somewhere like that okay now um I mean, I've been around for almost seven years now, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that it's changed. I came in when we were still doing leave on paper. Mm-hmm. And so, so I know when I went to school um, to reclass and all that, like um, the biggest thing I want to put out to those who are either considering the technician program or who are a part of the technician program, but maybe going to schools or deployments and stuff like that, definitely reach out to HR because they will have all your answers as far as stopping your insurance, starting it back up, because I know I had issues. I've known several people who have had issues, or, and you don't want issues with that kind That's of right. stuff. So making sure that the right paperwork's filled out to show that you are going to be absent and that you're being put in the system in a certain code, all that fun stuff, that way that there's no lapse in yep. insurance or pay and all that, because um, it's frustrating when you like, oh, I get to double dip, but then you come back and then your pay's not scheduled correctly. And then you have to wait a month to get paid because of how the pay falls. So yep. that's definitely something too. If, if you don't, if you don't know the answer to a question or a supervisor or somebody in your section, reach out to HR because that's your best bet mm-hmm. for all the answers. Yeah. Cause it ha- changes. <laughs> we, we, we see that fairly often. People want to try to game the system and think they can go on orders and like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, put in one day a leave here and one day a leave there and just keep everything flowing, and it just creates all sorts of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, we really recommend if you want to take your leave, do that, and then put in the paperwork, go absent, uh, U.S., which is absent for a uniform service, do your orders, and then come back, make sure it's all right. That way there's no weird mess up. And a lot of people, a lot of times it doesn't even get caught until you go to retire. Mm. And then when we have to – pull your whole record together, calculate your time, send it up to uh, ABCC who processes the, the retirement packages, and it's just a mess. And then it's 10, 15, 20 years later, and we clearly can't, can't – it's, it's a lot harder to go back and fix it, and there's debts and things like that. So in general, just don't game the system. <laughs> yeah, we had somebody that was coming back from school, and I learned because I was helping them try to get their stuff situated coming back. And – um, they had a lot of comp time and all that that they wanted to use. And I had to go back and forth with HR because I would say one thing and they're like, okay, do this. And then we would do it. And they're like, oh, wait, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so like make sure you use the right leave because yep. um, like we get annual leave and all that. But if you're getting comp time and like the time off awards, use those first because you if you do go to school or deploy and all that kind of stuff, you can't use those when you, you're trying to come back and get your pay started. So yep. know what what to use before you start using the other stuff. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And we're always there to answer questions. Uh, we got a, you know, a bunch of benefit specialists that that's their job. That's what they do is help people through that process. So. 
Um, I know another thing um, we talked about, like the bonuses and the tr- the health insurance and stuff like that. Um, another big thing is the education benefits. I know currently where there's certain things as technicians we no longer have access to with the education benefits. Is that something that maybe potentially down the road they could they're looking into since they are trying to change the insurance and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's my understanding. Is that's all rolled into that package okay. that um that General Hokison is really pushing for of, hey, you know, so we actually had a, a, a big leaders call a couple of months ago and General Jensen, uh, who's the director of the Army National Guard, came down and spoke and he's had those conversations and he keeps getting told or not necessarily getting told, but kind of the old argument was, well, they don't need bonuses because that's their job, right? Uh, same thing for AGRs. And, and his response was, well, but active duty gets bonuses and that's their job too. So it just doesn't really make sense. So that's kind of where they're the angle they're approaching it from of, of why is there this disparity on, on the active side versus versus the guard, uh, especially on our, on our full-time employees. So they're, that's all part of that deal that they're trying to address and, and fix. Okay. So one thing I think we definitely need to talk about is where do people go? Like mm-hmm. if you talk to any full-time person, the first thing out of their mouth is the skip page. And <laughs> not everybody has access to the skip page. It is not user-friendly. I'm sorry. I'm putting it out there. But mm-hmm. like where else can – M-Day soldiers go and airmen to be able to find these jobs and apply for them. Yep. Uh, so the the two places where we really look, um, the National Guard app, when, it, when it's up and running, uh, they all get posted there. But then USA Jobs, so all of our external facing uh, uh, and even internal promotions and stuff, all of our job announcements on technicians and Title V, they get posted on USA Jobs. Uh, so you can go on there, you can you know build your search criteria for – Columbia or Greenville, really the best way is just to search like National Guard in South Carolina, um, and that will should pull you up everything that we have open. And that's the platform that you have to apply on anyway. Um, so I would recommend anybody that's looking for jobs, go on, build your profile. You can upload your resume so it's already there uh, and everything's kind of pre-built. And then when you see the job, just put in for it, answer the questions, and, and it comes to us to, to look at. So, uh, And then the other, the other way that you can look into it too, so we have a lot of positions that – may not necessarily open up as a permanent right away, but you can come in as a temp tech, a a temporary appointment. And those aren't necessarily on USA Jobs. That's just kind of word of mouth. Um, And and it's just a resume and the paperwork to bring you on board. Uh, And that really gets you in the the door, in the system, uh, start working, and then you can see those other full-time positions as they come open. Um, So I would really just, just talk with your unit leadership, talk with, uh, your maintenance folks, your shop chiefs, they're the ones that are really plugged into the FMS shops in the field, uh, your unit leadership and, and things like that. They can kind of help navigate you through that uh, to see what's available. Okay. Now, um, I just had a question. <laughs> um, oh, can you kind of expl- shortly, because I know we're kind of getting up there in time, but can you kind of explain the difference? Because there are differences with temp techs and permanent techs mm-hmm. as far as benefits and stuff like that. That way that when somebody's coming in, because I know when I first came in and they did the briefing, they we sat through this whole long briefing and then they're like, and it was always, if you're a temp tech, don't listen to this. And then, then I'm like, okay, well, what do I listen to? Like, And then they're like, okay, if you're a temp tech, you get, so I don't know, I'm sure it's probably changed since then, but mm-hmm. can you kind of explain the difference main differences that way that when people are applying they know like this is what I'm going to get out of this and this is what I'm going to get out of this yeah so really a temp tech or a temporary uh, appointment 
they're really designed for either short-term projects or to backfill people that are deployed on orders, things like that. Um, so they're not a full funded, fully tenured position. So they don't get all the benefits that a permanent position does, right? You can get, you still get your annual leave and your sick leave, but you don't get military leave. Um, the retirement points don't accrue or the retirement time doesn't accrue the same. Um, so it's not all the benefits uh, in, in that it's a lot shorter nature, right? So if the position goes away, the need goes away, or the person comes back, then, then it's kind of over. Um, we have a lot in the field, especially supply techs. A lot of units have temporary supply techs because it's a short-term recurring need kind of thing. Um, the benefit of it, though, is, well, I mean, A, you still get the paycheck of, of the job, but it, it really gets you in the door to build that experience that you can then use when applying for permanent positions because um, it's full-time employment doing that job, learning those skills, getting in the systems, learning how the guard and that job works um, so you're kind of better postured for permanent positions when they come open. Yeah, so even though it's temporary, like, I mean, that's how I started. I was mm -hmm. a temp tech filling in for somebody who was deployed, and then I got um, – then I was able to apply for a permanent, and here I am. So, yep. And we've hired multiple – temp techs through the PA side of things. So I know other sections have that where they mm -hmm. they have an influx of work and then they bring on a bunch of techs and then either eventually it turns into permanent or maybe they find another position somewhere else. So it definitely gets your foot in the door. Like, yes, it it is frustrating learning that you don't get all the benefits right away, but it's a great start to be able to get into the program. But our, I know we talked about buying back time. When you become permanent, does any of that temp time um, apply to when you start that permit job, or is that kind of like your clean slate when you're permanent? It, it applies for some things, uh, for some parts of those benefits and time and service, but not all of it, um, not, not completely in retirement either. So it just depends on um, – what you were doing, how you were converted to permanent, things like that. So okay. those That's one of those. It's a very case-by-case. Case. We kind of got to look at it as you come on. Can can somebody come to you who's been in? Because, so, like, I've been in for a while and things have changed. Can I come to HR and just look at where I'm at with all of my stuff, I guess? Absolutely. Yeah, we recommend people. Uh, and we're trying to get – we got really out of it during COVID, but we're trying to get back in the swing of – doing shop visits and records reviews and going out to the field and, and walking people through, hey, this is this is what it looks like now, this is what it should look like, this is what we're missing, um, especially any military buyback time and things like that because the sooner you do it, the better. That way you're not like chasing a rabbit trying to retire and finding your paper copy DD-214 from 18 years ago and things like that. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you work close by and you can come over, that even better. Um, you can come by and – you can look at your own record in EOPF, but sometimes it really helps having that specialist there to kind of talk you through what you're looking at. Okay. I felt like you looked like you had a question earlier, and then <laughs> I kind of just started talking. Oh, I was going to ask about, like, don't we have, like, a union or something? Yes, yeah. uh, we do. Yeah, so, again, one of the benefits of that special category of civilian employees, right, um, as civilian employees, we do have the collective collective bargaining rights is what it called officially, but yeah, unionization. Uh, so there's certain categories of employees that are exempt from that, obviously management, uh, supervisors, things like that. If there'd be a conflict of interest between uh, you and the employees you're supervising being in the same union. But for the most part, uh, yeah, we do have a, a union that supports our employees. Uh, we have a collective bargaining agreement or a contract with the union that kind of drives how we 
manage our civilian employees. A lot of it is driven by law and regulation, so it's not necessarily bargainable, but kind of your day-to-day um, how we manage leave, who picks leave, who gets that, that kind of stuff, um, all the way through, you know, disciplinary processes, things like that, that we, we negotiate essentially and have a contract um, and gives the employees a little more bargaining power in the process. All right. Well, that, I mean, this conversation, I feel like it could just keep going, but is there anything, sir, that maybe we didn't talk about that you want to kind of address, or do you think we've kind of nailed everything at this point, I guess? I mean, I really think overall we've talked most of it. I would just say, like I said earlier, the biggest thing, the, the most vacancies and the biggest need we need right now is those entry level off the street folks. Um, so if you're coming in from battle handoff or AIT or something like that and looking for a job, highly recommend getting in the sooner you get in the better because it's just that much more retirement you get to build up so all right well we'll put um y'all's information because i know there's some other people in Mm -hmm. the office we'll put y'all's information in the show notes that way that people can reach out if they have any questions um but with that i guess i guess we're good Cool. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, thank you so much for stopping in and maybe we could have you come on when there's changes or updates to kind of go over everything. But I think we kind of have like a baseline of the technician program now and hopefully yeah. we didn't confuse anybody. I, <laughs> yeah. I still get confused sometimes yeah. talking about it, Try, especially trying to explain it to other people. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, I can only imagine. It's like I said, it's so complicated for me to explain why I wear the uniform every day, but I'm a civilian employee. Like people just don't understand. Nope. Yeah. I don't, don't think they ever will at this point. No. Yeah. Yeah. I just am like, <sighs> yeah, but I'm not AGR, but it's this whole thing anyways. Yep. Yeah, every time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Well, if you guys like this video, make sure you give it a big thumbs up. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button, and we will catch you guys in the next episode.